Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Luke, chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And a woman in the city who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is, who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, speak. A certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered. I suppose the one whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love, but the one whom little is forgiven loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven, but those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today is Pentecost. This is the day that almost 2,000 years ago the Church of Jesus Christ was born in love and power. Ebenezer Church is commemorating this season of Pentecost with a three-week series called Church on Fire. Last week, we talked about the first of three characteristics of the church that is on fire for Jesus Christ. The first characteristic is radical spirituality. We talked about how radical spirituality is encompassed by passionate worship. And as we studied Isaiah chapter 6, we discovered four promises of passionate worship. It is in the passionate worship of our God that we encounter God's own self. It's in passionate worship that our sin is revealed and we are healed. And finally, it is in passionate worship we hear the call of God in our lives. And like Isaiah, have the chance to say, here I am, send me. Today, we're talking about the second characteristic of the church on fire. The church that is radically hospitable deeply committed to meeting the needs of another. Have you ever encountered radical hospitality in your life? Let me tell you a story. There was this young woman. She was an Air Force officer. She was stationed at Robbins Air Force Base in Georgia, just been moved there by the Air Force. And so having grown up Roman Catholic, she began to look for a Roman Catholic church close to her new home. She found one, and they advertised on their sign an 8.30 a.m. worship service. 
Sunday comes around, she gets up, gets ready, and goes to the church by 8.30, only to discover that the parking lot is empty. The service the church had advertised wasn't taking place. But right next door was a Methodist church, and their parking lot was full of cars. So the young woman headed over to the Methodist church and did exactly what most of us have done in the past the first time we visit a new church. She walked in and sat as far back as she possibly could in the pews. At one point, a young lady turned around, actually a slightly older woman turned around, and looked at uh, our, our friend. She saw her sitting there all by herself. She got up from her, her second row seat and walked all the way to the back. She started talking, and they had this delightful conversation, laughed with one another. The older woman invited the younger woman to come and sit by her for worship. This began a wonderful friendship. The younger woman joined the church, but that's not the end of the story. The story continues... You see, a few weeks later, the young woman's boyfriend got back from his fourth and final deployment in Iraq. For much of his life, he'd felt God calling him to ministry, but he'd been resisting that call. She invited him to go to the Methodist church. He'd never been in a Methodist church before. But within a year, he was on staff and in seminary. And today, he's your pastor. And if you think about that story, it... It emanates forth from an act of radical hospitality. In all likelihood, my wife would probably never have gone back to that church again if our friend Teresa hadn't left her second row seat and gone back and made her feel loved and welcomed, met her need. Radical hospitality can change lives, church. I know because it changed mine. Jesus demonstrates for us radical hospitality. In our passage today from Luke chapter 7. You know, I've read this passage of scripture a hundred times in my life. I've preached on it a dozen times in my career. It's a fascinating story. But what I never saw until our Lenten study this year was the way that Luke chapter 7 as a whole fits together to help us understand the way that Jesus desperately loved people, all kinds of people who had all kinds of different expressions in this world. So, Luke chapter 7 begins with Jesus interacting with a centurion, a man of tremendous power, an agent of the most powerful government ever on the earth up to that point. The centurion's servant is sick, and so he invites Jesus to come and heal the servant. Jesus was willing to do so, even though walking into the centurion's home would make him ceremonially unclean. In a demonstration of great faith, the centurion says, I don't want you to become ceremonially unclean. Just speak the word and he'll be healed. Jesus speaks the word. The servant is healed. Jesus was radically hospitable to one of the most powerful men he would ever encounter. Then Luke chapter 7 continues. The first interaction had been one with a powerful person. The second interaction was with powerlessness itself. A woman who was a widow from the town of Nain had just lost her son. She was grieving deeply. Now, what you also have to understand about this story is that in the Jewish culture of the day, the ways that women were connected to power and to wealth were always through their male relatives, either their father, their husband, or their son. Presumably, the widow of Nain's father had already died because she was called a widow Her husband had died. And now the Bible tells us her son has died. 
Not only has this woman experienced great personal loss, but she also has been cut off now from structures of wealth and power. Jesus sees this woman who is in a profoundly powerless moment, and he meets her need. He raises her son back from the dead, from the most powerful to the most powerless. Jesus met people's needs. John chapter 7, Luke chapter 7 continues with Jesus encountering a messenger from John the Baptist. The messenger comes and says to him, John asks if you are the one or if we should look for another. You see, John was in prison. He'd been arrested for preaching his prophetic message. And ultimately, John was going to be executed by Herod. John saw the end coming, and so he wanted to know from Jesus, am I giving my life away in vain? John was afraid. And Jesus sends a message back. He says to him, John, don't be afraid. Because here's what's happening. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame, they are walking again. And after Jesus sends the messenger back to John, he turns to his disciples and he says, among those born of mortals, none is as righteous as John. Jesus meets the powerful, the powerless. Jesus meets the righteous. And then in the passage we read today from Luke chapter 7, we saw Jesus encounter two sinful people. Not one, two. The difference between the woman and the Pharisee was that the woman knew she was sinful and the Pharisee didn't see his sin. He was convincing himself that he was better than she was, but he wasn't. Jesus went to the Pharisee's home. Jesus forgave the woman's sins. Jesus met these people exactly where they were. This is what a depiction of what happens in Luke chapter 7 looks like. From the most powerful to the most powerless. From the most righteous to the most unrighteous. In this one chapter, we see Jesus Christ meeting the needs of people across all of the spiritual and all of the physical human spectrum. Jesus was a man of radical hospitality. He met the needs of others. No matter where they were stratified in our social context, no matter their level of righteousness or unrighteousness, Jesus met needs. And if we are to be the church on fire, the living God calls us to meet the needs of others as well, to be radically hospitable. And I want to suggest that radical hospitality involves three very clear characteristics. The first is that radical hospitality involves kindness. Despite cultural and political and religious differences, in Luke chapter 7, we see Jesus meeting everybody's needs. He exhibited kindness to each person in each instance. So often I feel as if our society has lost its civility. And as followers of Christ, our simple acts of kindness can truly demonstrate the light of Christ to another. And kindness doesn't mean that we'll always agree with one another. Of course it doesn't. Did you see the way that Jesus interacted with the Pharisee at the end of Luke chapter 7? Jesus didn't agree that the man should treat the woman the way he did. Jesus disagreed emphatically. But what Jesus didn't do is walk away and write a letter. Jesus didn't walk away and badmouth the man. Jesus spoke to him face to face. It took courage, but ultimately was an act of kindness. Radical hospitality involves kindness, but it also involves positive assumptions. Striving to see what is good in one another rather than simply seeing what is wrong. 
Though we come by our pessimism, honestly, many of us have been hurt. Some of us have been hurt deeply by others. But as followers of Jesus Christ, what defines us is not the hurt inflicted by another. What defines us is the grace freely given by the living God. Grace owns us. If God was willing to see past our faults and our sin to help us become what God always dreamed we could be, is it not an obligation of we who have been forgiven to strive to see the best in others? Not the worst. To see them with God's eyes for who they could be, not who they are. Radical hospitality involves acts of kindness. Radical hospitality involves making positive assumptions about others. And there's a third piece. Radical hospitality involves vulnerability. We speak often about vulnerability as a church. And the reason for that is simple. We know that the only way for us to truly have meaningful connections with one another is for us to see each other for who we genuinely are. Relationships that don't involve vulnerability are, by very definition, superficial relationships. As followers of Christ, our task is not to put on our best face, but to truly let people see who we really are, particularly in a culture that battles with each other so often. Battle lines are drawn, and being honest, authentic, vulnerable with each other becomes essential to being the church on fire for Jesus Christ. That before we would even think to begin articulating what might be wrong with another, we would first share the sin that exists inside of us. Jesus demonstrated radical hospitality, which means he was kind. It means that he saw past who people were to who they could become. And Jesus ultimately was profoundly vulnerable. The act of incarnation itself was an act of vulnerability, as was going to the cross. Perhaps the most profound act of vulnerability in human history, when the Creator allowed the creation to execute Him. If we long to be the church on fire, like our Savior, we must be committed to radical Hospitality, which is a deep, deep desire to meet the needs of others. So how do we do it? How do we do radical hospitality together? We can do it individually in our own lives in all kinds of ways, but how do we as the church do it together? Particularly in this season when people are asking all kinds of questions about what is safe and what is unsafe and what am I allowed to do and what am I not allowed to do? In the midst of all of this, Ebenezer Church has a rare chance to be radically hospitable with one another. As we talk about what it looks like to begin meeting in person again, there's a question that emerges. How can we, in the midst of this conversation, in the midst of these actions, how can we be radically hospitable to one another? And here's the answer, church. The answer is that we create a space for everybody. Everybody At all levels of comfort and engagement, we create a space for everybody within the guidelines that have been given to us. That's the goal. We want to be radically hospitable. We want to meet people exactly where they are, at their level of comfort, at their level of engagement, but do it within the guidelines that we have been given.
Well, who's given us guidelines? Two groups of people. The first is we're receiving state guidelines from the governor's office. The second is we're receiving guidelines from the Virginia Conference. Our bishop, Bishop Lewis, has set forth a a significant plan uh, that guides how we as churches begin to come back together. Now, the bishop's guidelines are actually more restrictive than the governor's guidelines. And like the governor, the bishop has instituted a three-phase reintegration process. I wanted to walk through that with you. But before I do, I wanted to share with you the two most significant challenges that we are facing as we strive to come back together. Here's the first one. Out of an abundance of caution, the bishop is striving uh, to keep people safe. And to do that, uh, she has directed that during phase one that we're currently in, and during phase two, the next phase, that we limit the number of people who gather for worship activities. In phase one, she's instructed us to limit the number of people who gather to 25. In phase two, she's instructed us to limit the number of people gathered to 50. Again, her desire is simply to try and keep people safe. As you know, Ebenezer Church is a very large congregation. Having a church service for 25 or even 50 people is impractical for us, simply given the number of people that attend worship here and the cleaning that must take place in between each service in order to ensure a safe environment. But there is also one other challenge presented by the guidelines we've been given. The second challenge is that Bishop Lewis has told us that when we gather for in-person worship, we are not to sing. And that might strike you as really odd. Gathering for in-person worship and not singing? Let me tell you why it's actually a really smart move. Um, Social distancing works because when we speak to one another in our normal register, we communicate droplets about six feet away from us. But when we sing, our voices project. And studies show that that six feet projection zone actually becomes as much as a 16 or 27, as far as 27 feet away, we can project things while we're seeing. And so for that reason, the bishop has asked us not to do singing in in in-person worship. Well, so what are we going to do as a church? We're going to be radically hospitable. We're going to develop a plan that fits the needs of everyone within the appropriate phases, given the guidelines that we have been given, a plan that is radically hospitable. So here it is. In phase one, which we're in right now, we're going to continue to offer online opportunities for engagement, online worship services, online small groups, and more. For all those people who feel the need to continue to worship online in the future, we want you to know that we're going to continue to offer online worship into perpetuity here at Ebenezer Church. But the second thing that we're going to do here in phase one is we are going to begin a process of engaging in Drive-in communion services. One of the things that we can't do as the distributed church, those who are watching church together, we can't have communion. And I miss communion. My guess is that many of you miss it as well. And so in the coming days, you're going to receive some information and instructions about how we're going to begin this in the middle of June. Ultimately, people will be allowed to come here and, and gather in our parking lot while remaining in their cars. We'll institute communion. We'll share it. We'll get to wave at each other. We'll do so from a safe and responsible distance. It's not perfect. It's not yet what I long for. My guess is it's not yet what you long for, but it is a step towards reintegrating. That's what we can do right now in phase one. Looking ahead to phase two. The second thing in phase two is that we can begin the increased care plan for people who continue to remain physically separated from one another. 
What does that mean? One of my fears is that as we begin this process of reintegration, those of us who start moving into connecting with one another again, as we begin to do that, those who need to remain socially distanced from one another, who continue to need to remain physically separated, they're going to feel increasingly isolated. Right now, we're all in this together. But what happens if because of a pre-existing medical condition or my age or some other factor, I need to remain physically distanced while other people begin to start going out and renewing their lives again? My guess is it's going to help people feel pretty isolated. So what are we going to do? Ebenezer's come up with a three-step plan. For anyone who will let us know that they're remaining in social isolation, we want to do three things for you. First, starting in phase two, we want to make sure you get a phone call every single week. Second, we're going to have an opportunity for you to video chat in a group setting with our pastors each and every week. And here's the third piece of this, and I'm so excited about this. Every other week, at least twice a month, people who will let us know that they're socially isolated, we're going to send somebody to their home to visit them. Not to go into their home, that would defeat the purpose of social isolation, but to take a lawn chair, to sit on the front lawn while you sit on your porch or at your window and have a safely distanced, but still face-to-face conversation. Radically hospitable. The second thing that's going to happen during phase two is that those groups that feel comfortable doing so will begin the process of coming back together. Some small groups and ministry groups will want to meet in people's homes. Some small groups and ministry groups will want to meet here at the church. And we're going to develop guidelines, and those guidelines are already largely in place for us to begin doing so. Groups that still want to meet online are certainly allowed to. And my guess is that we'll have a number of groups that are hybrid groups, where several people are meeting together in one place and other folks are joining electronically. And that's great. Creating a space for every single person is radically hospitable. And in phase three, in soon and very soon, I pray the bishop will let us know that we are in phase three. And when we get into phase three, we're going to begin returning to in-person, particularly worship activities, slightly larger groups. As the restrictions on our size numbers are removed, restrictions on no singing are removed, and as we're able to care for children again and kids care opportunities We'll start, I pray, to begin looking again as we have in the past, coming together to worship the living God in spirit and in truth. At that time, we will continue to follow the best guidelines of safety we possibly can. Here's what I know. I know that there are some people in our church who are afraid and may never step into a large group again. I know there are other people in our congregation who want to begin coming back to worship right now. Ebenezer Church is striving to be a place of radical hospitality, which means creating a place for everyone within the guidance and authority that's been presented to us. Radical hospitality. Radical hospitality is something that Jesus Christ practiced. It's something that truly changes the world, and it is something that we, as the people of God, are called to do. It is part of being the church on fire. Kindness. Making positive assumptions about the other, seeing them not for who they are, but who they could be. Truly being vulnerable with each other. Jesus Christ taught us to do this. And if we are going to be his people, we must.
If you'd like more information about our reintegration plan, you can find it on ebenezerumc.org slash highlights. Thanks for being with us in this time of worship. May the living God call us forth to radical hospitality so that we might be the church on fire. Would you pray with me? Loving and gracious God, we give you thanks for this time, this very moment. We give you thanks, O God, for your example of desperate love, where you met people no matter where they were, powerful, powerless, righteous, unrighteous, you met all of them and met their needs. Help us to be that kind of people, people of kindness, people of vulnerability, people who see the best, not the worst in others. Help us to follow your example and be the church on fire for you, bringing glory to you in the darkness. God, we pray a hedge of safety around the people in our congregation. We pray your wisdom upon our leaders here at this church, across the Virginia Conference, our governor, and all of those who are making decisions about how we can and when we can safely and responsibly return. And God, in the midst of all that is happening in the world right now, help us to be your light. Help us to be your source of healing, and grace, and hope. Help us to be the church on fire. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.